Hi, this is GJ from New Hampshire. Jed Bartlett is my president is a Chipperish media production and is entirely funded by listeners like you. To support Chipperish and gain access to exclusive content, visit patreon.com slash chipperish. And welcome to Jed Bartlett is My President, a podcast about the West Wing and denial. My name is Lonnie Diane Rich, and every week I take an in-depth look at an episode of the West Wing along with a special guest. And for a little while, we pretend that the worst thing happening in the White House right now is a rare tropical storm as a sign that God is displeased. This week's episode is Two Cathedrals, the 22nd episode of season two. And here to talk with me about it is my special guest, Matthew Vose. You may know Matthew from Pop Culturally Deprived, a podcast which he hosts with former JBIMP guest Mandy Kay. Pop Culturally Deprived is about Mandy's journey experiencing all the big movies, TV shows, and books everyone else has seen, but she has not. Matthew is a pop culture enthusiast who likes nothing more than good cinematography and great writing. Welcome Matthew. Hi Lani, it's terrific to be here. Really glad to be on the show. I'm so excited to have you with us. We're we're obviously recording Jeb Butler is your president. Yes. Um, And and this is the perfect episode to record because I was worried that we were going to be having an episode where I'd be saying, hey, how does Congress do this? What does the candidate do? What's a caucus? So there's no politics for us to discuss today. Exactly, (laughs) because it's a slightly different system where you are. Yes, absolutely. You know. And, and in, in fact, your, your president, Jeb Bartlett, is in a special relationship with my prime minister. So I'm here recording a show listed in the West Wing as Maureen Grady is my prime minister. Oh, so you can okay. reach out to me on hashtag McGimpum <laughs> and tell me about the show. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Okay, so I have a question for you. As someone from the UK, how did you end up getting into the West Wing? The West Wing was actually really popular over here. Uh-huh. Um, it, it aired on Channel 4, which can sometimes be uh, slightly more high-profile shows that wouldn't go out on a, an entertainment network, mm-hmm. but are still quite popular. Um, one of my oldest friends, uh, we're very similar into a lot of the same things, except when it comes to media. Uh, mm-hmm. He occasionally comes with me to the movies, and we see a, a superhero movie or a Lord of the Rings-type epic <laughs> uh, fantasy, and he walks away... <laughs> he will not deign to visit another film like that again ever and occasionally he takes me to the movies and we go and see a James Bond a Nicole Kidman or a Jason Bourne or something some sort of political thriller and I go well that was really serious <laughs> and he loved the West Wing he he talked about this as one of the great shows and, and watched it over and over again and eventually a few years ago I said fine I will watch it I will probably enjoy it a bit Mm-hmm. And two weeks later, I bought the box set. <laughs> I was tearing through them as quickly as possible. And, and I've done the same to other people since. I've sat them down and said, you need to see this. It's really good. It's really relevant. You can quote it forever. Yeah. How did you like the character of Lord John Marbury? <laughs> the uh, drunken I, British uh, ambassador. Yeah. That's, that's the sort of British export that just, it's like nails on a chalkboard. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> One of those little stereotypes, like yeah. Yeah. All right. Now, is there a UK show that's kind of similar to the West Wing? Like the only one I'm familiar with, the political UK show, is The Thick of It, which, as I understand, is is fairly dark. It's almost like House of Cards, yeah. but but comic, right? Yeah. Um, we're quite cynical in the British yes. psyche. Um, so our, our, when we do media about politicians, they're either uh, bumbling and out of touch, like The Thick of It, or Yes Minister, which mm-hmm. is one of the great political comedies, um, or they are utterly corrupt and in it for themselves the, the, the house of cards is based on an original tv british show yes mm-hmm. uh, where he he does everything he can to take power and there was even <laughs> a, an old show called with rick rick mail mm-hmm. about a conservative politician who wanted to take power and he was called alan bastard oh, <laughs> <laughs> we're not earnest about politics when it's on tv <laughs> like that the, there is a tv show that i can think of that does this sort of intellectualism capability and, and positive relationships overcoming any adversity and that's doctor who oh yeah no, doctor which is who not is earnest yeah it's not the same as the west wing right. but it does the same about we will use what we have to to do the best for everyone around and save everyone as we can yeah. 
Yeah. It has that hopeful message, mm. you know, which is which is really nice and one of the things that I really enjoy about the West Wing. Yes. All right, so this episode aired on May 16th, 2001 and was written by Aaron Sorkin and directed by Tommy Schlummy. This episode actually filmed on location at the Washington National Cathedral, but apparently they didn't run the material past anyone there and the people at the Washington Nas- National Cathedral were so upset by Martin Sheen putting out his cigarette on their floor that they have since banned filming entirely within the building. Or at least that's the excuse they gave to wedding crashers who apparently wanted to go <laughs> and film there. Maybe they just felt rude saying, uh, I don't think so. Yeah. <laughs> they were like, no, we're just not letting anybody here anymore. <laughs> Vince Vaughn, we've seen your other films. We No, no. Right, exactly. <laughs> All right, let's go to the synopsis. In this episode of The West Wing, the White House staff prepares for two big announcements, one about the president's multiple sclerosis and the other about Bartlett's plans for the next election. They hold a service for Mrs. Landingham at Washington National Cathedral, where Bartlett takes a moment alone to rail at God. Bartlett flashes back to when he first met Dolores Landingham at the prep school where his father was the headmaster, and he remembers his father's abuse and the president makes his final decision about whether or not he's running for a second term. So, Matthew, there's one thing about this episode that I feel like is probably really obvious, but I've never been able to quite nail it down. I think I've got it, but I'm not sure. Okay. But two cathedrals, right? Obviously, one of them is the Washington National Cathedral, you know. The actual cathedral. It's beautiful and it's amazing, right? (laughs) And the other one... I mean, there's the chapel at the school where somebody put out their cigarette, but I don't think we're referring mm. to that. We do yeah. have that, that that's sort of a resonance. They did this nice resonance in the flashbacks to what was happening now, which I thought was really good. But I think it's the press conference. Is that, am I right? What's the other cathedral? I've always taken the other cathedral, and, and I don't think there's a, a single answer for you, but it mm. is politics and his position within it. It oh. is D.C., the White House, the West Wing, the Oval Office, the the office of the president. The whole thing, the whole the, sacred that, package. Yeah. And, yeah. and the end of his uh, diatribe <laughs> in the middle <laughs> of the episode, it cuts from the blue eye that looks down on him straight to the yes. Washington Monument looking down on the White House. Oh, yeah. So the uh, whole thing of Washington. The reason why I thought it was the press conference is because mm. I did an episode. I think this is the one I did with Mandy, Bartlett for America, right? Wasn't yes, that I it? think so. And, um, and there was a reference in Bartlett for America where Leo was talking about the president and he said, a podium is a holy place for him Mm. and so i made the association that the other cathedral was when he's because he has this this sacred kind of connection with you know with the people that he serves as Mm. president and when he stands up in front of a podium when he's speaking directly to people that's when he's in his sacred space so i don't know but i mean it was one of these things i've i've looked at this a million times i've seen it say Mm. two cathedrals i never thought what was the other cathedral (laughs) until today and then i'm like it's probably really obvious and i'm just missing it And I think that you're, you're exactly right that it ties into what we've seen elsewhere. Mm-hmm. Uh, th- this whole episode does a lot of work in what we've seen up to now. And it yes. goes right back to his introduction. Mm-hmm. I am the Lord, your God. You shall, not, you shall worship no God before me. Yes. His introduction mm-hmm. is politics and religion in the same room and, and instilled within him. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's why I've always taken him as, him as the, the Pope <laughs> in, yes. this, in this cathedral. Yeah, he absolutely is. I mean, because we do see him. He quotes the Bible a lot. We have a mm. lot of um, a lot of recognition of his faith being a big deal. I mean, one of the things that, that we've talked about a lot on Jed Bartlett is my president is this idea that we're pulling from various places in history, you know, mm. um, various presidents. We're pulling from Kennedy with his, his Catholic um his Catholic religion and also his um, his uh, the hidden diseases that he had. He had Addison's disease mm-hmm. and all sorts of stuff that he kept quiet. FDR, of course, had some you know health problems that he kept uh, quiet. Yes. Yeah. Um, and uh, and so we see we see some of Clinton and Bartlett. We see some of everything. And so one of the things that I, I really like is that we do kind of come back to this idea of God and religion and theology. And I think it is as much about philosophy. You know that that religion is the the ultimate. Personal philosophy of like how 
people work, you know, how you mm. should behave, your morals and all that kind of stuff. And I find that such an interesting thing for him to be so earnest about that. It's not just that he shows up at church, which is what a lot of, you know, people do. They show up at church and they do their thing and they don't really mm -hmm. care. But there's like, hey, look at me. I'm a church going person, you know. And uh, and with him, like when he goes to church, it's sacred. You know, he mm. really feels it. And when he's in that cathedral and we're going to talk about that at length in a little bit. Um <laughs> When he does that speech, you can see how incredibly powerful and sacred that is. And the only mm. other sacred place for him, you know, to me that I can say, I mean, I think you're right. I think the White House, I think absolutely all of that, Washington and all of that is is the other cathedral, that it's a much more uh, metaphorical cathedral, you know, but it is still just as sacred to him. But yes. when he steps up to a podium, man, you know, and that whole speech from Leo, which comes from Bartlett in America, which doesn't air until, you know, season three. So it, yeah. that comes after this. So it is not a text upon which we can draw in this moment because you know it's, it, it comes later um but the idea of a podium is a holy place for him i just i i mm. love that whole thing yes i definitely agree with that uh he is yeah. he it, for everyone in the west wing this is a religion this is the way of life and the thing mm -hmm. they commit themselves to yeah it's the thing that they believe in you know it, mm. it, it is an ultimate faith and and not just you know like god or whatever but you know faith is is the the belief the trust in things unseen unproven you know and yeah. and they are always they always have this faith and this trust that the work that they're doing has meaning and it will have effect and they haven't gotten to that cynicism yet um you know even toby cuz toby's anger and his his apparent cynicism comes from this this incredibly deep and vulnerable earnestness mm. you know which i find I, one of the things i love about toby is is how complicated he is in that way it's really really interesting yeah, um, so we do a lot of flashing back in this episode um, so what did you think of the flashbacks yeah uh, no one can hear anyone in the flashbacks and I think mm -hmm. they're just doing it for dramatic effect to cut from one so you have the pre-lapse sound yes. of her mm -hmm. shouting Jed at him but mm -hmm. every single time we go to a flashback it's someone having to call for someone several times or knocking on a door yes. and not being heard <laughs> I didn't pick that up, but that's really interesting. It's you think a really there's like a symbolic to meaning to that, that nobody was listening? Yeah, maybe so. <laughs> maybe so. <laughs> um, no, the flashbacks are just terrific. You can mm -hmm. you can imagine this as uh, Aaron Sorkin writing a play rather than yes. an episode. You could mm -hmm. see a stage with uh, two sides of the stage and Jed Bartlett is played by the same actor going yeah. from one to the other and showing mm -hmm. how, they, how they go in. And it's it's terrific. It really is. Actually, you know, mm. you're really right. Two cathedrals would make an amazing stage play. You know, if you've got one guy who can play both parts and like moving this up, that could be really very cool. Mm. But it is. I mean, and, and the thing is that Aaron Sorkin comes from theater and musicals yes. and plays. And I mean, that's that's his background. That's where he started. And you can see the uh, the influence of that on the work here. Mm. Um, I love Kirsten Nelson as young Dolores Landingham oh. is amazing. I Jeez. love this woman. Yeah, she's so on point. It is perfect. <laughs> yeah, and, and the thing is that we have these lines that she and Catherine Joosten both have to deliver. The mm -hmm. God Jed, I don't even want to know you that comes from them in both different times. And the way that they say it, she's so dead on with, with being Catherine Joosten. Yes, and uh, I wonder if they ever met to discuss the lines or something, because they didn't have to film together. They were clearly two different locations and sets. Well, actually, but, if you listen hmm. to the West Wing Weekly, which is amazing, and they, they have a, yeah. a special episode that they did where they talked with Kirsten Nelson. Apparently, she did work with Catherine Houston on a show before this. And so they okay. sort of knew each other. Um, and uh, and so she just basically, you know, she knew that Chicago accent and just would, would pull it out. And she knew Catherine Houston. So it's, it's, it's pretty cool. Ah, terrific. As, as a side note. I haven't listened to the West Wing Weekly since two or up to two cathedrals. Oh, I listened yeah. to everything up to it, and I thought if I listen to it, I'm just going to steal it. Exactly. <laughs> because, frankly, <laughs> why not? And because if, they're if, brilliant. Yeah. Yeah. If I if I at least don't listen to it, but then end up stealing it, I know it would have come from me in the first place. <laughs> I know. I know. Well, I actually listened to it um, because mm. I just I found it so interesting, like the the inside perspective on all of these things, you know. Yeah. And they did this thing. They did a discussion with Aaron Sorkin, and I don't. I think it was the Two Cathedrals uh, episode where they talked. Mm. They talked to him on a couple of them. Um, but one of the things, like one of the things that I've been saying for years, is reality is no defense for fiction, right? Which mm -hmm. is one of my like 
like standby lines. And, and, and what I mean by that is that like, if, if somebody writes something in fiction and I say, this isn't working and they say, but it really happened that way. Then I'm like that. You can't, you can't do that, mm-hmm. you know? Um, and, uh, and so one of the things that Aaron Sorkin said when, uh, when he was talking about something and he says it so much better. And now I wish I had that is, um, is don't let the truth get in the way of a good story. You know, like, don't let the truth mess up whatever it is you're trying to do in your fiction. Your fiction is your fiction, and that's different, and you can mess with that however you want. I always found that – I found that to be really interesting. I just heard that um, this weekend when I was listening to the West Wing Weekly. So this is me, like, completely pimping the West Wing Weekly. I can't imagine there's anybody who listens to me who isn't already listening to them. Um, But they're really fun. They're really, really fun, and I enjoy it a lot. Yeah. I have used your line, reality is no defense for fiction, to talk about explosions in space having sound. Oh, yes. <laughs> it adds exactly. good drama. <laughs> exactly. You know, but I mean, I think like the thing is like reality is no defense for fiction, but it's also no condemnation for fiction. Mm-hmm. And so I hadn't found a way to express that like from both angles, you know. Um, and uh, and so he's don't let reality get in the way of your story. I love that. I, I may have to steal that. And one of these days I'll probably forget and think it was mine. And, you know, whatever. He can sue me. <laughs> So we like the flashbacks. We have these these mm-hmm. moments where we go back in time to when uh, when Jed was a, a kid at his father's prep school. Um, we have Lawrence O'Donnell playing the father, and mm. you may not be familiar. Lawrence O'Donnell, uh, you know, was uh, a political operative. He worked in D.C. for a while. He's always been a writer, um, but he also okay. hosted like a one of those um, you know news programs on MSNBC. It was like right after you okay. know Rachel Maddow, Lawrence O'Donnell would come on. Right. So whenever I see him in the West Wing, I'm always like, you're not an actor this is weird <laughs> like you're a, you're a guy on tv um but uh, but he played jed's dad and he was actually um a writer on the show and again this is more information i got from west wing weekly so i'm just <laughs> stealing everything that they i didn't do any research i listened to them um but apparently what happened is that they just didn't have an actor to do it and they were like come on in larry you know <laughs> they just had him come in and do it because he was a writer on the show um you're but cheap. i thought he did a pretty good job yeah exactly you're yeah. here you know you might as well do some work for us um, but I thought it was pretty good. Um, were you shocked by the slap? Yes. Mm-hmm. It's it's so strong because it's not something you expect from this show. It's not a show that goes to violence. It's not a show that does. Uh, yeah. it, like I said before, it likes its intellectualism. And mm-hmm. for him to do that, and, and it absolutely draws clear, okay, Jed is better than his father. Oh, yeah. He can yeah. do this stronger, stronger. He can argue better. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I can understand him walking away at that point. Oh, because absolutely. at that point, what can you do? Right. And I love this line that we get from uh, when we get to the uh, the ghost, uh, Mrs. Landingham, who's uh, sitting mm. in with him. And she says, I've got a secret for you, Mr. President. Your father was a prick who could never get over the fact that he wasn't as smart as his brothers. I was like, OK, well, that's one thing, but also like not as smart as Jed either. Uh, that, you know, that's, that's interesting. I, I'd always heard it as prick, a sort of. Oh. Uh, stuck in the mud, stiff upper lip type. You oh. you will conform kind of thing. <laughs> Someone who's, who's never able to do forward thinking. It, oh, I don't know. I'm not sure I can think about Mrs. Landingham having a swear word. Oh, no. Oh. She's much too proper. <laughs> I like it. No, I think I think that woman, I think was was it had this been on like HBO, she would have been cursing a blue streak through the White House. And I know that Deborah Fitterer, when she comes into replace yeah. uh, Landingham, that she she would absolutely be cursing a blue streak through the White House. I, I fully, fully think so. I just mm. I kind of wish had because the thing is that like there's you know there's there's a complaint that a lot of people have about cursing you know that it's like it's not creative and it's not whatever but there are words and they're they're some of the most powerful words that we have and if you use them you know to their best effect yes they can be incredibly powerful and there is nobody in the world who would be able to use you know the f word like any kind of swear better than aaron sorkin like aaron sorkin writing something where people can swear is like my favorite thing you know? yeah <laughs> so um so i think that it would have been it would have been i think the same show, but mm. there there would have been like a, a slightly edgier element to it, and I think that that Landingham would have absolutely carried that edge. She yeah. could do it. <laughs> oh, Josh and Leo would have been salty, wouldn't they? <laughs> oh yeah, no, they sure would have been. I think Donna too. I think yes. Donna could throw some of those out too. Ginger, I think, would not. <laughs> no. no. 
Yeah. Um, all right. So we go into this whole storyline where we're trying to figure out, you know, is the president going to run? Is he not going to run? They're announcing, you know, the um, the admission that he has MS, that he kept it from the country. They're doing that, that you know, little interview with uh, with Jed and Abby. Mm-hmm. Um and so, so we have this whole thing happening. This is a big day, but also everybody's trying to figure out whether or not he's going to run. And you can see that Leo fully believes that Jed is going to run. Yeah. Yes. He can't say it. He doesn't want to jinx it. <laughs> he sort of hints at it um, all the way through. And, and he doesn't want to, if he says it to someone in the wrong way, they'll then do something that, that upsets his guy. And stops right. him running again. <laughs> well, he's planning the whole thing. There's this moment mm. with Toby where Toby says, They're going to run this clip forever. No, we're about to give him clips to beat it. Yeah. <laughs> so so Leo has absolutely, like, no doubts about anything. He sets up that lifeboat for Toby, that job, mm-hmm. right? And Toby is so insulted. Toby's like, Leo, you got me a lifeboat? Greg Summerhays. Yeah. Yeah. Got your lifeboat. Did you imagine that there were any circumstances under which I would use it? No. And why? To show him that. So even in this like very high-risk strategy where he is essentially setting Toby up to leave, knowing Toby wouldn't leave. So he didn't, he didn't do a lifeboat for anybody else. So apparently he only really had that kind of faith in Toby. Mm. (laughs) Um, But it's, it's really, it's funny how incredibly certain Leo is, even as we're watching Bartlett seemingly struggle with it. Do you think that, that Bartlett knows? No, I, I think he has to go through and be coerced into it. Um, A little bit like we've seen before with, um, the Bartlett for America napkin being the thing mm-hmm. that sets him on the path. And, and we know that Leo can play him. We see in the flashbacks, Mrs. Landingham can, I, I wouldn't say play him, but she can push him towards the outcome she wants and thinks is best. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and he is internally a very good man who wants to help everyone. Yeah, he wants to do the right thing. He wants to do the best thing, you know. Mm. And in that that moment with the ghost of Mrs. Landingham in the Oval Office right before he's about to go to this press conference, she says, You know, if you don't want to run again, I respect that. But if you don't run because you think it's going to be too hard or you think you're going to lose, well, God, Jed, I don't even want to know you. And I love that. It's so good. I know. I can't and help but gush. I know. Well, this is one of the things, like, I don't particularly care generally for flashbacks. Like, flashback mm. sequences, unless there's, like, a real, you know, a real story going on that kind of they both illuminate each other. And I think we do get a bit of that in this. We mm-hmm. have this, you know, this God, I don't even want to know you. There's that resonance. There's the cigarette that was put out on the chapel floor. So mm-hmm. we have that resonance calling into the, the Washington National Cathedral. And then we have this uh, this moment with a you know she's trying to talk to young Jed about um, about the pay equity situation, mm-hmm. and she says, "You're gonna do it." Oh, I didn't say that. Yes, you did. When? Just then. You stuck your hands in your pockets. You looked away and smiled. That means you made up your mind. That doesn't mean anything. Oh yes, it does. I, I stuck my hands in my pockets and looked away and smiled. We're in. Yeah. You know, and then. We turn that around and we resonate that in that last moment when he makes that um, that final decision, yeah. uh, which is a really nice resonance. So these these this story from the past, you know, just reflects in on him now. And it is Dolores Landingham, you know, who in the past he his father hit him and he backed down. Hmm. You know, he got slapped in the face and he backed down. And today he's getting slapped in the face, but he's not backing down. No. Which I think is really pretty incredible. And they, they draw that wonderful parallel that his father slaps him and he then mm-hmm. walks out of the office and then closes the door and he's in the, the Oval Office. And there's a, right. a direct line from uh, having stood up to his father and not gotten anywhere to becoming president mm-hmm. to trying to solve the world's ails and the highest office in the land. Yes. <laughs> and still there's work to be done. And she's reminding him of the work to be done. Like Again, 
calling back to a flashback and where, where he says, you're, you're pointing out things that I haven't yet done. Well, that must be a bit annoying. And she comes <laughs> in and she gets him to tell her mm-hmm. about all these things, about the children born into poverty, about homicide rates for black men under 35, about school conditions. Genuinely important things. Americans without health insurance and how we need to solve that. And he mm-hmm. knows that there is work to be done and he is the best person in the world to do that. Yeah, and the way that she urges him on, like, mm. and it's it's also one again another nice resonance where in the past he says, "Get me the numbers, get me the numbers, and I'll do mm-hmm. something for you." And then in the present, in this moment where he's communing with this this ghostly version, you know, this this version in his head of of Mrs. Mm. Landingham, and she says, "Give me the numbers," and he rattles them off off the top of his head, everything he knows, everything that are that are problems that he knows that he has to solve, that he can do something, you know, yes. that he has that power. Um, and I found that to be really, really powerful. So the flashbacks in general, like I'm, I'm usually, like I said, not a fan, but I actually really like the way that these are resonating and we're seeing the story in the past where Jed was ineffectual, where he couldn't make a difference, where he couldn't do anything, mm. you know, and to the present where he has this opportunity to continue the work and continue the fight. Yeah, and you're exactly right saying this is uh, a visitation from the ghost of Secretary's past, but it is yes. all in his head. We we see the mm-hmm. shot that he has sat there on his own in this stormy office uh, talking to himself about the problems of the world and coming to a decision. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so she is definitely, you know, in his imagination, mm. but but he knows her so well and he knows what he needs from her and what he needs her to say that he is playing both parts. Yes. You know, and really kind of bringing her into him, that she is a part of him because Mm. of the experiences that he had with her. And I thought that that was just incredibly powerful. Like just this this whole um, episode from beginning to end, you know, it starts out and we're just kind of moving through the day. And, you know, everybody's doing their thing. They're trying to figure out what's going on. Um, We've got really cranky Sam, you know. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Everyone's moving through the day and nothing is landing. Everyone's yes. making CJ makes a little joke, and there's no laughter, and there's no mm-hmm. fun in it. The, President Bartlett makes a joke. Well, Leo's kind of rich. Maybe he can buy some tech stocks. And no one, <laughs> everyone just stares at him. <laughs> and the whole opening sequence goes through this, and, and you have this real sense that they are uh, waiting on something to happen. But like you said up top, there's so many things going on. It could be any of them, and nothing right. sort of dispels the tension of, of the atmosphere. Yeah, because everybody's just trying to figure out what's going on. I love this moment where they're, I think they're in Josh's office, or maybe maybe Toby's. Um, but everybody's talking about answer A and answer B. Mr. President, does this mean you won't be seeking a second term? Answer A is, you bet, I will absolutely be seeking a second term. I'm looking forward to the campaign. There is great work that is yet to be done. Yes. Answer B. Are you out of your mind? I can't possibly win re-election. I lied about a degenerative illness. I'm the target of a grand jury investigation, and Congress is about to take me out to lunch. I'd sooner have my family take their clothes off and dance the Tarantella on the Truman balcony than go through a campaign with this around my neck. You think that's too on the nose? I do. We changed the language, but... <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but it's a, I, it was a really, really great moment. So I love, mm. like, as, as everybody else is, is moving through their day, they're all wondering, because this is not just, you know, the future for the country or the future, but this is their future. When an administration moves out, you know, mm. they clean house. They don't usually keep on the staff. The staff is very tied to whoever the president is. And so it's not just his future, you know, or the country's future, but it's all of their futures. Yes. And... There's this great moment from Donna where she says, Josh, can this really be how it works? We have no idea if he's going to run again. He's in a room with Leo making a decision. Two people in a matter of minutes. So it works. That's how it works today. And I thought that that was, uh, that was pretty cool. So what did you think about all of this chewing and froing and yet nothing really being done? Yeah, it's, it's... The West Wing has a great thing of coming in in media res. And, and mm-hmm. right in the middle of the action, you've got to run to catch up. And, and by the end of the last episode where we've heard about Mrs. Landingham being hit by a drunk driver, you come in expecting it to be the fallout from that. And suddenly we're, we're several weeks, well, not several weeks, we're several days later. Mm-hmm. And we're up to the funeral. And suddenly, again, we've got to run to catch up. And no one really seems to know what they're doing either. Right. So we've got this strange sense of tension with them. Mm-hmm. 
and, and he, like I said, even the president is out of sorts a little bit. He tries to make a fact at Charlie. Charlie already knows the fact. The president then mm-hmm. doesn't know about the storm, which is unusual for him. And it's right, because he all, usually has all that. <laughs> yeah, it's all building and it's all so strange and the, the strained car ride that seems to go on forever. Oh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> Until does. finally, almost exactly halfway through the episode, you get to the diatribe. Oh, yeah. And, it is, and that it is kind is, of amazing. It's a peak of the West Wing. And th- th- this is generally considered one of the best episodes of the show. Oh, and it, absolutely. It absolutely is. This show about politics, and it's not about politics when it's really good. It's about the characters and their belief and the world around them. And the whole thing yeah. shows us that, that they are so invested that when mm-hmm. they're not sure what to do, when their leader is out of sorts... Everyone's flapping around and losing their minds, and t- Sam's snapping at people. He doesn't care who they are. <laughs> <laughs> I know. Sam is unbelievably cranky in this day. Yeah. Poins is the only one who put together the money this fast. He's the most successful fundraiser the party's ever had. Though, obviously, it'd be easier if Poins was running as an incumbent. Okay. Sam. Thanks. No, it was an no. inappropriate. When I say okay, that's it. Close your notebooks. You don't talk like that here. I don't give a damn whose nephew you are. Tony, President Bartlett's not a candidate. He's the president. When I say, okay, that's it. Close your notebooks. (laughs) We don't talk like that here. Like, he's throwing this hissy fit. And then he's snapping at CJ Mm. later, where he's like... I want to bring it up again. Why? Because I got shouted down the first three times, and I work here just like you do. Can I help you? And I was like, all right, you know what? Sam's getting emotional. Sam's mm-hmm. got, a, got a thing going on. And it was it was just this thing in the background, Cranky Sam, but it was really funny. <laughs> <laughs> and he's he's almost the worst served of the, the fact this is an ensemble. Every Everyone in the credits has to have a line in the episode. Mm-hmm. So so they they have him in these meetings doing these things, but you can see he's just not really wanting to do any of this, and he's just wanting to be easy and let's move on and get back to important stuff. Right. <laughs> Somebody did not eat his Wheaties that morning. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Um. He was just, and it was just, it was so funny to me because every time he opened his mouth, he didn't have much. Rob Lowe didn't get much in this no. episode, but man, what he got was just cranky. <laughs> and you know what? I can sympathize with that. I've had days like that. Yes. <laughs> I know how that feels. <laughs> But again, he's saying to her, I've been shouted down before. I'm the one he thinks yeah. he's the one speaking since. It's that we're having to run to catch up with the show and find out what mm-hmm. they've been discussing. And there's, there's exactly. in another episode, even of the West Wing, the the interview with Abby and Jed would be the mm-hmm. sole focus. How they light it, the discovery of the asbestos, the interview, what he says. When you think of the amount of time we spend on him doing radio shows or the build up right. to debates <laughs> later on. And we have this crucially important interview and we see nothing of it. We get I, a little know. bit it on the background. It all happens off screen. Yeah. Exactly. It's, which is the craziest thing because this is a huge, huge moment where mm. he is announcing, you know, that he has MS. This is the big scandal of the presidency. Mm. And yet it is so secondary to everything else. And I think because we're so far into Bartlett's POV, you know, in this episode that we're really like he is he's sitting in an NSA meeting about Haiti holding an American embassy hostage. Right. Yeah. I mean, that's a big deal. Mm. And he's remembering back to washing boats and talking with Mrs. Landingham, you know, like 30 years ago or whatever. Um, so all of that I found to be uh, to be really kind of interesting. Like he's um, we're so far in his POV and the things that he's concerned with. He is not concerned about the MS scandal. Like no. this is honestly, I don't think even on his radar. So he's just doing the thing and going through the day and doing what he's supposed to do but he isn't fully engaged until the moment we get to the cathedral Mm. until you know after the service Mm -hmm. he tells leo to lock it down to seal it up and he's in there in that space and he gives the most amazing speech and i mean i love Mm. i love all of it i love that it opens up with you're a son of a bitch you know that it is so incredible yeah. and so fully, wonderfully felt. And he goes through like this whole list of things, you know, where he's talking about Josh and he's talking about the tropical storm. And then he starts yelling at God in Latin, <laughs> <laughs> which I absolutely, absolutely love. Yeah. And um, one of them is, and I, I'm not going to be able to pronounce this because I, gracias tibo ago domini, which is thank you, Lord, which he's saying is sarcastic. So it's not just Latin, but it's sarcastic Latin. Yeah. 
yeah. <laughs> that the the whole thing is Aaron Sorkin, and the whole episode is Aaron Sorkin showing off. Yeah. But this, oh, the, yeah. the fact he knows he's going to have a whole section of of the episode that has Latin uh-huh. that not we're not going to give you subtitles, we're not going to help you understand it. So exactly. earlier in the speech, he has a single line that's just about understandable. Gracias mm-hmm. and Domine. You go, okay, I think he's thanking God. Right. So when you actually get to the Latin, you go, okay, yes, he's flicking to Latin. I'm not going crazy. I'm not able right. to understand the president. <laughs> no, but it's wonderful. And the way that he delivers it, I mean, Martin Sheen oh. kills it in this mm. moment. And my favorite, of course, my favorite, favorite moment in this whole thing, and probably in the entire run of the West Wing. Have I displeased you, you feckless thug? Have I displeased you, you feckless thug? Like, that is one of the most powerful phrases i have ever heard i love it i have the gif of it (laughs) i throw it out on twitter on a regular basis it's just amazing have i displeased you you feckless thug to yell at god like that you know um about the loss of mrs landingham about Mm -hmm. all of these things that are coming down on him about the tropical storm about josh getting shot at the beginning of the season you know all of this stuff, and then he he yells at him, and uh, and part of it, what he says, I'll read the translations in English. Hey, Kratom, my Deo Pio. Am I to believe these things from Adeo a righteous Justo. God, a just God, Adeo a wise God? To hell with your punishments. I was your servant, your messenger on earth. I did my duty. To hell with your punishments. To hell with you. And then he caps it with... You get horns. You get horns. <laughs> <laughs> like, horns isn't going to do this stuff for you. Horns is an idiot. That's who you want. <laughs> you know? Mm-hmm. Um, it's just... It, it, I love when he caps it with, you get horns. Because it is so funny. It's a funny line. And yet in the moment, the humor of it doesn't overpower the the tragedy and the heartbreak that Bartlett's experiencing, that we're experiencing with him. Because I don't think anybody who has lived on this planet more than, I don't know, 10 to 15 years has not felt like yelling some of that Latin at God. <laughs> At yes. one point, like we've all had those moments where we're like, you feckless thug, what the hell is this nonsense, you know? And um, and then for him to follow that up with, you get hoins, like as the <laughs> ultimate insult. <laughs> you get so the right. worst of us. Exactly. If you're mm. not going to work with me, the best of us, then you get hoins. You get what you yeah. deserve, you know? Um, oh, God. It's just, it's so incredibly beautiful. And when he lights up that cigarette... <laughs> takes one puff the whole Mm. purpose of lighting that cigarette is so he could smash it on the floor yeah you know so that he could say whatever with you right Mm -hmm. um oh man it's it's incredible so so tell me what you thought about this the the whole thing there there is nothing else in the west wing that comes together like this you said you said martin sheen's performance and i don't think he's been this good since apocalypse now yeah um it's it's just terrific um Mm -hmm. his delivery it's not quite what you would expect from Aaron Sorkin's writing. It doesn't have that cadence and that that flow and dance to it. It's written, you look up the scripts and the screenplays, it's written with punctuation. Mm -hmm. Martin Sheen leaves out half the punctuation. Mm -hmm. You you said the bit about, uh, thank you, Lord. Gracias tibi argo domine. Mm -hmm. But he says, gracias tibi argo, Ah. as though it's a a Caribbean island or something. (laughs) (laughs) He He uses the word feckless thug. Now, and you said at the beginning, curse words are really strong. They are incredibly powerful. But he doesn't need them at that point. He doesn't. He, he has such a... And, and the only thing that comes to mind of that is um, Loki in the Avengers, you mewling quim. Oh, yeah. <laughs> no, but, seriously. Mm-hmm. But Tom Hiddleston chews the scenery to do something like that. And he spits and he's angry. And Martin Sheen is just walking. He's so small inside this giant cathedral. And he's just yeah. walking forward. And then he gets to the end of it, and, and he's reeling off all these things that he's done. Mm-hmm. And again, there's no punctuation to it, because he says, we're not fighting a war, I've raised three children. Yes. <laughs> the two things aren't <laughs> different to him. He's just rattling off. He's so full of adrenaline. And he finally gets, at the end, like you say, lights a cigarette, drops it, puts it out. And he turns around and says, you get hoins. And the, the accent of it, it's, it's almost mm-hmm. like he's gone, 
I'll get the beers, you get hoins. <laughs> he doesn't say you get hoins. Right. It's it's wood, and it's so off kilter with what you might expect. Or and again, a lesser actor, and lesser director, and lesser writer would have delivered. Mm-hmm. But the filming of it is just impeccable. I say he's so small in the middle, and you've got oh, this yeah. blue eye looking down on him. Oh yeah. <laughs> and he's imagining this as a monologue. Mm-hmm. He is talking to God. God is listening, and he is making Mrs. Landingham's death about him. You killed her because you don't like me. Exactly. I know. <laughs> <laughs> but I don't know a way to say this that doesn't sound controversial. God isn't there. There is no actual person listening to him. Mm-hmm. This is a soliloquy. This is all for himself. And he's Well, he's off... talking to himself twice, right? Yeah. He's talking to himself with Mrs. Landingham, who is there in his head. And he's talking to God, who is there in his head. Exactly. Yes. Mm-hmm. He is all the way through getting himself around to the point of, I don't want to do this because look at all this good work I've done. And still he kills my favorite secretary. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I do all this for you. And you yeah. hit her with a drunk driver. Yeah. You know, the day after she bought her first new car, mm. which is and, adding and, insult to injury. Yeah. Josh was a warning shot. <laughs> yeah. And, and yeah, and Josh getting shot was about him too. I mean, this mm. this really is, you know, as much as I love Bartlett, it kind of is an exercise in solipsism. You know, yes. I mean, yes. it really is. <laughs> um, everything is about him. Everything is. And I mean, I guess when you're president, that it kind of is. Like, everything is always about you when you're the president. I guess you get used to that. Yeah. Even God is about you. You know, Josh's being shot was about him. You know, the, the children that he raised, that's about him. The, the, the 38 million jobs or whatever. That's all about mm. him. Everything. Mrs. Landingham's death. Everything is about him. It all comes back to him. And I think part of that is not just, you know, not just necessarily solipsism, but that I think he feels the weight. I think that he feels the weight of everything, that it's not mm-hmm. that it's not about him, but it is because of him, that because mm. he didn't do enough, because he didn't do the right thing, because he decided to walk outside, you know, that day and and forgo some of the, the security detail when everybody got shot, um, that, you know, that he's the reason that Mrs. Landingham had a job that would make her buy that car, make her drive on 18th and Potomac, like mm. that he's the reason, like, I think that he feels what I got from him, what I got from the read on this is that, you know, it wasn't narcissism, it was just, you know, this is everything is my fault everything is on me Mm. you know it all like the buck stops here and i feel like that's how he's reading that i don't know did you see that yes that deep-seated guilt because Mm -hmm. he's the last one we speak we see speaking to mrs landingham he says Mm -hmm. when you buy it bring it back i've got something to tell you about the ms Mm -hmm. and i want to kick the tires yeah he's the one who says bring it back here without him saying that Maybe she wouldn't have gone to 18th and Potomac. Yeah, maybe she wouldn't have been there at that time. Exactly. So everything comes back to him and it's a responsibility thing. You know, it's Mm. that, you know, if you're an extraordinary person, you know, with with extraordinary power comes extraordinary responsibility, you know, Um, that, you know, to do to do a very, you know, bastardized um, Spider-Man quote, but (laughs) (laughs) with great power comes great responsibility. But he is extraordinary. Like, it is even it is even bigger than that. He's bigger than Spider-Man is what I'm saying. He he is a foot smarter than everyone else. (laughs) He is a foot smarter. I love that, too. That is showing off a foot. smarter exactly what a great way to express that idea Mm -hmm. and that's one of the things that that sorkin you know definitely you know i have some of my issues with some of the things that sorkin does in his writing but but his words like he is an artist with words it is unbelievable what he does um and the way that he expresses things and even when it's simple and then this this thing that we have um mrs landingham saying in the past and now and she says then god jed i don't even want to know you and Mm -hmm. it's always god jed it's like but it's it feels like this deliberate thing associating jed with god yes God, you know? comma, Jed. Yes, exactly. <laughs> my, my God, you are Jed. Yes. <laughs> um, but I just, I found that whole thing, like the way that, that everything has this incredible resonance between the past and the present, and he's looking toward the future, trying to figure everything out. Um, mm. It's it's kind of incredible. The one thing, too, that kind of struck me about this whole day is like we have this tropical storm coming in. So there's mm-hmm. there's constant rain, right? And it's getting worse and worse and worse as the day gets darker, you know? Um, 
Um, and so we have this sense of, of water and nature. In the flashbacks, we even go back and there's Jed hosing down the crew boats, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so we have water everywhere all over this. And, um, and there's that, you know, baptismal effect of water that it washes you clean of your sins. And we have this moment where he says, you know, when he's yelling at God. Yes, I lied. It was a sin. I've committed many sins. Have I But we have this constant water thing. The door to the Oval Office keeps blowing open and the rain comes in. Um, and, and even though he doesn't know it, we have this other sign. Um, as the motorcade is passing by the Washington National Cathedral, we have a janitor who is cleaning the floor with water. And he picks up the president's discarded cigarette just as the motorcade is going by. And this, all this, with Dire Straits Brothers in Arms playing underneath, you know, this this powerful ballad. Um, it's, Building it's towards that moment. Yeah. yeah. No, it's it's really incredible. But we've also got this. We've got all this symbolism with the water. And then we have the president on his way out to the press conference refusing the raincoat from Charlie. Mm. So he goes out into the water. He's accepting the baptism and the washing away of sin. Now, am I reading too much into that? Or is that actually there? I mean, I guess no, death it, of the author, if I see it, it's there. But still. <laughs> <laughs> it is absolutely there to be read. Um, mm-hmm. I, I always take it as the storm. He is ready to face the storm. Yeah. He's not mm-hmm. hiding from it. He's not cowering from it. He doesn't need Mrs. Landingham to manage the doors in the West Wing. Yes. Mm-hmm. That suddenly she's not there and suddenly this door starts flying open. Mm-hmm. He is now ready to go and take it all on. Yeah, I just thought it was really, really cool. And mm-hmm. um, and then he gets to the press conference and CJ deliberately said ask the medical reporter call on the medical reporter and he's we have this moment that lasts forever he's staring at the medical reporter and you see the medical reporter like yeah i'm here you know (laughs) and he deliberately calls calls on somebody else you know so that they would ask him the question are Mm -hmm. you going to run for a second term and then he sticks his hands in his pockets he turns his head and he smiles and it's this moment that takes part. I mean, we actually have, like, she asks him this question, and there is dead silence for, like, a minute and a half as we, like, take the <laughs> yes. camera and we whirl around him. And I know that we're in, you know, one of the things about writing is that you write the way it feels, not how it is, which is another mm-hmm. way of saying, you know, don't let truth get in the way of your fiction, you know. Um, <laughs> and so, like, we have this, you know, incredibly long moment where he is, he's taking that moment, he's sticking his hands in his pockets, he's he's smiling, he's turning his head. We know what he's going to say, you know, mm-hmm. but everybody else is staring at him with bated breath, like, are you going to run for another term, you know? And uh, and it's pretty incredible. And he's there, you know, s- like still wet from this baptismal rain, you know, mm-hmm. that only comes like he takes Donna into the Oval Office and asks her, you know, how rare is this? And she's like, it's been, I don't know, was it like 68 years or something like that since the last time or 100, <laughs> 100 and some or something. Since the last time we had a tropical storm like yeah. this in May, it's been a long time, you know, that that today that this particular storm you know, was absolutely baptismal for him and that he Mm. could wash away his sins and continue forward doing the work that he needs to do. Yeah, that's a a really lovely way to read it. A really nice analogy. I like that. Yeah, I thought it was really Mm. fun. It was one of those things once I noticed it, I was like, ooh, you know, and then once you see it, you can't unsee it. It's like (laughs) everywhere, you know. That's what happens when you start looking for symbolism and stuff. I never used to be like that. I used to be like the kind of person that's like, you know what? The the billboard with the glasses, just a billboard with glasses, whatever. (laughs) Knock it off, you know. Um, but now I'm getting all into this stuff. So it was really fun to kind of find all this stuff in there. But the other thing I wanted to talk to you about a little bit mm-hmm. was this idea of, of sons and fathers, right? Because we have, mm-hmm. we have that moment where he says, What was Josh Lyman? A warning shot? That was my son. What did I ever do to yours but praise his glory and praise his name? I don't think I've ever heard Bartlett think or refer to Josh as his son or that relationship as as a father-son relationship you know and I thought that was an interesting way of expressing that yeah there's almost a parallel to it in in the shadow of two gunmen mm-hmm. and I think he goes to see Josh uh, mm-hmm. I, I think it's that episode where there's a flashback yeah. and he's he's going to see Josh as Josh's father is dying but it's not quite yes. a paternal relationship but in this mm-hmm. one he absolutely sees it as Josh is basically Jesus. Um, yeah. Yes. And I've praised Jesus for you. So how come you've shot my Jesus? Exactly. Why did you shoot far? my Jesus, man? <laughs> 
It's what he says. It's textual. It is. It's absolutely there. Why you got to shoot my Jesus? <laughs> and now I think we have a title for the episode. <laughs> Maybe not. Maybe not. No. Yeah, I really don't think so. But we also have this, uh, we have this discussion that he has in the past with Mrs. Lanningham where he says, our father is not non-denominational. And they're talking about the reference to God as our father. You know, which brings in another one of these like father-son relationships. Then, of course, we're, you know, in the past dealing with him and his father and his father being such a jerk to him and slapping him across the face mm-hmm. because he, he said something clever. Like, that was the thing. You know, his dad was mad because he had been clever, because he had been smart, you know, and that was the mm-hmm. thing he got slapped for. He got slapped for the very thing that is the the, the core of who he is, is yeah. a smart person. Um so I really like thought all of this, all of this sons and fathers and, and God as, you know, as a father to everybody. And then, and then Bartlett feeling like a father to, to absolutely everyone as well and feeling responsible, you know, yes. for everyone. And then throwing everyone. in that line, I raised three children. Mm. Which is, which is absolutely true. And it's the last point he makes in English. Mm -hmm. Uh, but yeah he feels like everyone is his child and he has to protect them he has to know more than them he has to have facts that he can bore them with and great moments that he can inspire them to go and do good works in his name yes exactly Mm. but one of the things i love is this moment with uh with ghost mrs landingham you know um Mm -hmm. who says are you in a tough spot yes do i feel sorry for you i do not why because there are people way worse off than you. And that is such a nice way of saying, get over your daddy issues, both with your father and with our father, and get on with the thing. Like, she is having none of his nonsense today. And I love the way that she does that. And he just gets up and gets on with the thing. Yeah. And, and she's done that. That's, that's been her role. Sort yeah. of, uh, obviously, as gatekeeper to the Oval Office, but also for him. Uh, it reminds me of an Excelsis Deo. Uh-huh. And oh, Ch- yeah. uh, when when Toby goes and she says you arranged a funeral, you shouldn't have done that. You absolutely <laughs> shouldn't have done that. He then goes and, and Butler does say the same thing to him, but in a lot more words, <laughs> a lot more detail. But she just <laughs> cuts to it and says no, and then yeah. we move on. And she goes to the funeral. She still thinks it. Yeah. You know. And, I mean. Ugh. And that comes to mind because you you mentioned the use of music in this, and, and yes. I thought I, I'm sure there are other examples of music used in the west wing mm-hmm. so i had a look and i found a terrific article that was uses of music in the west wing and i watched oh. them and i ended up in floods of tears oh <laughs> because you have this that's, that's emotional but really strong and a, and a great building but you have the use of alleluia at the death of the secret yeah. service agent uh, at, at the end of next season you have oh, little yeah. drummer boy when mm-hmm. when they do the funeral and, and just after she's spoken about her sons and the way that she the way that they died Oh God, yeah. This show really uses it impactfully. No, they do the the use of music, and they're they're very specific. Like it's often you know most of the time scored, but when they use a specific piece of music, like uh, when Josh is dealing with, I think it was. Uh, I can't remember. I think it might have been the crackpots and these women when mm. Josh is getting the secret, the card that gets him into the bunker, you know, and mm. he's having tr- trouble like struggling with that. And he keeps listening to Ave Maria because his sister loved that piece of music. Oh, yeah. And Ave Maria, Leonard Cohen's ha- uh, Hallelujah, like these and, and Dire Straits Brothers. And I was like, these are incredibly powerful pieces of music. Mm. And they're used when when they start with Brothers in Arms. It seems a little weird because the it's right after he's had this discussion with Ghost Mrs. Landingham, the door blows open again. Yeah. You know, he's looking out into the rain and then he's like, OK, getting on with it, you know. And and then, uh, and then we have. Yeah, we have these these uh, this music building up, and it sounds weird to me. At first, I was like, is that some kind of weird sci-fi music? Like, what the hell is that? And then we move into it. I recognized it. I was like, oh, okay, because the Brothers in Arms, I mean, Dire Straits didn't always do, you know, like, get your money for nothing and your chicks for free. I mean, you know, whatever. It's it's catchy. But, I mean, Brothers in Arms is is a really, really powerful piece of music, and mm. uh, and I loved the way they put it to use here. Yeah, it's it's a terrific way to end it. And, and like you say, it ends with uh, possibly a cliffhanger because he doesn't answer the question, but the show has yeah. coded his movement so we know what he's decided, we know what's coming next. And, and there are obviously events after this. This is the last show that was done before the September 11th attacks, so yeah. the West Wing has to take on changes after this. 
the the beginning of the next season it just answers that question straight away and we move into the ramifications of it oh yeah no it's Mm -hmm. it's incredible and you know at the end we're waiting for his answer but because, like you said, because it's all coded, because we've had everything built up throughout the rest of the episode, like mm. we know exactly what he's going to do. And we see that Leo's faith, you know, Leo's sure knowledge that he is mm-hmm. going to run again, um, you know, is absolutely going to play through. But we also have this moment before the funeral where Abby and Jed are in the car together and she mm-hmm. is very confidently talking about how he can throw his his support behind Hoynes and they could probably keep the White House. She has absolutely no doubt that he's not going to run because that is the agreement that they had. <laughs> so for her, I think that that's, that's like a, a really, like she is less right about her husband than Leo is. Like Leo knows Jed better than Abby does. And I think that's kind of an interesting little beat to have in there. And as long as I'm talking about them in the car, you know, before the funeral, not to be like shallow or anything, but Stalker Channing is rocking that hat. That hat looked awesome on her. Oh, she looks incredible. I mean, she never She's doesn't incredible. look incredible. So. I know. I know. She's always amazing. But man, I saw that hat and I was like, I want that hat. Like, I can't wear hats. I'm not that kind of girl. Like, I know what my limitations are and wearing hats is one of them. They wouldn't man, fit over your headphones. So. I know. Right. Exactly. <laughs> never That's not what podcasting. I'm wearing. <laughs> Podcasters can't wear hats. It's just, it's just bad. Um, but yeah, no, I loved, um, I loved Leo's faith. You know, I loved Leo's um, absolute surety and knowledge that, that this was the way this was going to play out. Everybody else has no idea, you know, has no mm. idea what's going on. They're all trying to figure it out. Um, and Leo is so sure. And there is something about, like, in the West Wing, when, when I talked with Mandy about Bartlett for America, this was, like, the first time I, I realized it consciously in the West Wing. But the West Wing is very much a love story between Bartlett and Leo. Mm. You know, and you see that in so many of these episodes that that is the ultimate love story. Like Jed loves Abby, you know, and they got a good thing. But Leo is, I think, his primary relationship. I think Leo maybe understands all of him. Like Abby, I think, understands the man. But Leo understands the man and the office and, you know, everything. And I, I love that relationship. I love how well Leo knows him. Mm. So Sorkin writes a good male relationship. Yeah, he's he really very, does. very good at that. He and really does. Leo's just hysterical at the end of the service, just mm-hmm. just as we're setting up for the diatribe. Um, and he comes up to him <laughs> and he says, "It was a beautiful service." I thought. I thought it was a beautiful service. It sounds like he's teaching English. Here's how you change the context of a sentence. <laughs> right. I know. And then he has that bit where he calls her abroad. She was a real dame, old friend. Oh, real broad. Yeah. I'm like, Jesus, did you grow up in a 1930s mobster movie, Leo? Yeah. What the hell is that? And when did that, like, has Leo ever, I mean, in any other context, ever spoken about anybody that way? And also, by the way, a real dame. She's a real dame. Like, what, a, a real broad. Like, how is that? a compliment how is that a respectful way to talk about mrs landingham like yeah. those aren't really like the nicest terms for women i mean there are much worse i've heard worse you know i've been called <laughs> yeah. worse but those aren't the greatest either you know and it seemed so weird you know i i don't know did you pick up on that like did that stand out to you yeah it it really stands out it's his chicago and coming out i think is that where oh. he's supposed to have been from i don't know i think maybe i think maybe he is from chicago and so um, is she so maybe that's like some so. Chicago okay. thing that in Chicago it's it's a respectful way to speak of somebody. I don't know. But yeah, when, when we see her as as a young woman who's married at this point, um, working mm-hmm. at basically the Institute from Dead Poets Society, but yes. she knows what she's doing. She she gets Jed into this situation where he she wants him to help her out, and mm-hmm. she she wants to work for uh, pay equality. And yes. I think this is this is supposed to be shortly before the equality pay the Pay Equality Act. Mm-hmm. Yes. Uh, mm-hmm. Equal pay. Equal pay. Act. Equal pay act. There we go. Um, Something like that. I don't know. Has it been torn down yet? I haven't looked up. I haven't looked up. <laughs> um, <laughs> I've been doing this. <laughs> yeah, she she knows what she's doing. She's mm-hmm. forceful with him. He tries to call her Dolores once, and it's implied once ever. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and to say to say to this capable, intelligent woman, she's a real dame. <laughs> Mm-hmm. <laughs> Sounds like she's Michelle Pfeiffer on top of a piano or something. <laughs> exactly. 
<laughs> no, it just cracked me up because it was such a weird, and especially in the middle of, you know, we've just had this service, you know, we've, we've seen everybody there, they're mourning, they're sad, you're in this holy, holy place, because he says this in the middle of the Washington National Cathedral. <laughs> like, yes. you know, you've just had this incredibly powerful, um, you know, service for this woman. Charlie did this beautiful reading, you know. We have all this, we're in this, like, very deep moment. And then Leo comes in, says something patently ridiculous. <laughs> Twice. And then wanders out and seals off the place so that Bartlett can yell at God. I mean, it is... It is an unbelievable circus of brilliance. It is mm-hmm. so crazy. And these are some of the things, like when I look at it, I think nobody could have gotten away with that. Nobody else could have gotten away. This 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 yelling at God thing in the wrong hands with the wrong actor, with the wrong writer, with the wrong director, you know, had anything else been just a bit off, it would have been, you know, ridiculous. It would have been laughable and it would have been so melodramatic and, mm. and we wouldn't have taken it seriously. But because we had this very particular combination of incredible talent Mm. this whole thing comes together in a way that that is honestly one of the most powerful moments in all of television i forget just the west wing yes in all of television this is in my top 10 of moments on tv you Mm. know um and uh, and i think it's just absolutely incredible yeah I i completely agree the only thing i think i'd compare it to is something like the body Mm-hmm. Oh, or, yeah, the or, Buffy, um, the Vampire Slayer episode, The Body. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. it was funny because you mentioned uh, the dialogue from the Avengers before, and that was, mm. of course, written by Joss Whedon. Yes. So Whedon is one of the only people who comes up to Sorkin's, you know, uh, status when it comes to dialogue and, and writing, and it's, it's absolutely incredible. Uh, Whedon doesn't have the same musical theater feel. That, that Sorkin has, which is which is almost this this weird. Um, it's slightly out of phase. You know, everything that Sorkin writes is slightly out of phase because it all should be on on the stage. It should all be theater. You know. Yeah. Um, and Whedon has has a different kind of skill set, but he has that that same ability to make music with the dialogue, mm-hmm. um, which is really incredible. So anybody who's listening to this who doesn't already know Whedon, Joss Whedon, uh, just follow him. Do watch everything he's ever done. Watch Buffy the he's, Vampire Slayer. Get he's back to me. Good. Like, guys <laughs> yeah he's, he's really really yeah. good i mean he only All does right. fantasy so it's not worthy but oh no it, oh god don't get me in the genre conversation man no it's good good stuff <laughs> uh, lani i have one question that i would like to ask you uh, you asked me oh, okay up top. i have one for you we are okay. here discussing jeb butler is your president uh, mm-hmm. you had lawn signs or window signs for him you were pleased to vote for him your daughter's just turned 18 so she's probably looking forward to voting for him on re-election oh, yes. mm-hmm but you found out that he covered up this degenerative disease. Mm-hmm. How does that actually make you feel about him? And would you want him to run again? Oh, that's an interesting question. Um, yeah, no, I wouldn't have a problem with it. Um, uh, you know, he covered up the disease. Um, he didn't mention it, but also it didn't deeply affect his ability to uh, to function as president. Um, the What he's done in office has been good. The disease mm-hmm. is not fatal. Um, and in most of the time, aside from when he has, you know, has an episode, it's not going to be a thing. You know, um, if he has a bad flu, you know, once a year, that may be the equivalent of what MS will do to him until it becomes, you know, more severe. And if it becomes more severe than at that time, I would be um, probably very, I would be looking very closely at who his vice president was, mm. you know, um, just to, to be absolutely sure that, that, you know, that we had somebody there who should he be required or should she be required to step up <laughs> that, that, that they could do that job. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I would, I would vote for that guy again. I would, I would forgive that. Absolutely. I mean, there are things that have been done in the White House that I have found to be unforgivable with other uh, other presidents. Um, there are things that I think speak to, you know, because if you look at Bill Clinton, right, you know, mm. the things that he did speak to like an essential failure of character, you know, with Bill Clinton. Mm. But you look at him and you think, well, you know, he was a- an incredible statesman. But I think that what Bill Clinton did um, and the way that he, especially the way that he treated these women until they had proof and then he couldn't back out of it. He destroyed mm. people's lives um, because they made these claims. And, uh, you know, where there's smoke, there's fire. There was a lot of them. So for Bill yes. Clinton, I, I found him to be so uh, reprehensibly immoral. 
that even though I liked what he did um, and I liked what, you know, him as a statesman and I felt like he was a good politician. Um, I was so disgusted by his behavior that it really, it took, it took a big chunk out of me. But I think that like after that, I look at covering up MS and I'm like, whatever, dude, we got bigger problems. You know? <laughs> yes. I don't think it speaks to an essential failure of character the way that some other things presidents have done. I can understand that. that. Yes. Yeah. (laughs) So we we will wait to find out. Obviously, as we watched it on TV, we don't know why he put his hands in his pocket. So we shall wait to see what he says. We'll have to find out what happens (laughs) next season. (laughs) All right. Well, that'll do it for this week's episode of Jed Bartlett is my president. Sadly, it's time to put our hands in our pockets, turn our heads, smile, and get back to the real world where there's real work to be done. But I hope this little break has given you a sense of the signs and portents around you telling you what you need to do. Thank you to Matthew Vose for hanging out with me this week. Matthew, tell the good people where they can find you. Thank you, Lani. It's been an absolute honour to be here. I've loved the show, so this has been so much fun. You can find us pop culturally deprived uh, wherever you find podcasts: iTunes, Stitcher, Google, YouTube. <laughs> uh, we've got a few good shows coming up. We're going to be talking about Schindler's List. Oh my god! Which, she which hasn't was... seen Schindler's List. Every she time you guys seen... do something, <laughs> I love this woman. I love her so much. <laughs> No, and that was a, a terrific show. We've just recorded it and a, a really good conversation. So that's going to be a good awesome. one. Coming up, we've got uh, the Rocky Horror Picture Show, which Ooh. should be a lot of fun. Um, and we have When Harry Met Sally with a terrific author joining us. Right. I know. Somebody who loves romantic comedies is going to be joining you. And I'm just going to stick my hands in my pockets, turn my head and smile, and let everybody figure out who that's going to be. <laughs> I'll be back next week with Sarah D. Bunting, co-founder of the amazing Television Without Pity and founder of the pop culture criticism site TomatoNation.com with our thoughts on episodes one and two of season two in the shadow of two gunmen in which we deal with the aftermath of the presidential assassination attempt. Next week's episode will be the last episode of Jed Bartlett is My President as it goes on hiatus. But be sure to visit Chipperish.com for more information on exciting new projects to come. Until next time, here's a word from your president and mine, Jed Bartlett. Hey, Kratom, Adeo Pio. Adeo Justo. Adeo Shito. Cruciatos in Crucia. Tuis in terra servos nuntias fui, officium perfecce. Cruciatos in Crucia. Eas in Crucia. You get horns. Jed Bartlett is My President is a Chipperish Media production. To get exclusive Chipperish content and access to a community of amazing people, go to patreon.com chipperish. All clips in this podcast were used under the fair use exemption for criticism and commentary of the U.S. Copyrights Act. <laughs> <laughs>